What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Jake Podcast. I'm your host, Jake Brainy, on this Thursday, August 20th. It's been a while. Been a while. Uh, been a while since I've been on the pod. Uh, this is episode 102. You know, after I did so much work with episode 100 and episode 101 that I kind of just wanted to like take a little bit of a breather afterwards. But yeah, it's um, it's been a minute now. So uh, excited to get back to it because, you know, I missed doing the podcast. I missed doing this. But, you know, things get in the way. Things, uh, you know, you prioritize things. Uh, earlier this month, we, uh, you know, both me and my girlfriend celebrated our birthdays. So we have, you know, her birthday is July 31st. Mine's August 4th. So, you know, around that, we like to celebrate a little bit. And uh, for her 30th birthday, we threw this huge, big party. Um, well, not huge, I shouldn't say. It was really just close friends and um, our parents, her parents, my parents. But uh, Sam did so much good work to make it happen. And uh, it was really cool. Like, you know, she made it all 90s themes because she was born in 1990. And, uh, you know, made all the decorations herself. She, like, made these, like, fake Tamagotchis. We had a photo booth. Everybody dressed up, and we did a cash prize for it. The winners was uh, Sam's friend, also named Sam, and her boyfriend, who dressed up as Miss Frizzy and the Magic School Bus, which was such an awesome, like, 90s-themed uh costume idea to begin with and then uh his his school bus mike's school bus could turn the lights on even so it was it was a it was a great uh, contest and a very worthy winner a lot of people participated but it was it was just a really good time we um were really looking forward to that party for a while so it was nice to you know have that party and have a big like you know celebration and uh my birthday made it much more simple a lot smaller uh, my 30th party last year was a lot of fun, so I didn't really want to celebrate too, too much. Uh, instead, just, you know, went out to dinner uh, and, and you know, made it a small thing. But, uh, yeah, so that's what's been going on, and that's why I haven't really recorded in a while. It's, it's been, like, almost, it might have been almost a month now, you know, and, and I feel bad, but I just, uh, it, there hasn't been a lot going on. Uh, sports now are happening, though. So uh, we'll get into that a little bit, and uh, we'll go do another movie debate, too. I have a couple things I want to get to, so uh, we'll just start off with sports. We'll go uh, one by one, you know. Yeah, since the last recording, and this is Thursday, August 20th. I can't believe it's already you know, August 20th. Labor Day is coming up, uh, and which stinks, because I always look at Labor Day as the end of summer, but... Um, you know, that's different now, you know, as an adult, like I, I look at Labor Day as not the end of full summer, it's just the end of like busy summer, you know, and I think of it's kind of the beginning of local summer for the next like three weeks. So, you know, once people are out of town, but this has been a weird year, so I don't really know how to take it. Uh, just, you know, a couple more days in the sun before, uh, you know, going into hibernation this winter, which will stink because I was really, you know, getting a good tan for you know, for a good amount of it, got a little burnt the last time out, but regardless, uh, yeah, it's almost Labor Day, um, but in baseball, it's, uh, you know, we're only a couple weeks into the season, we're a couple weeks away from the end of the season, trade deadlines in 10 days, and, you know, there are a lot of stories around the league. Uh, right now, you know, as an Indians fan, I'm dealing with this whole clevenger Act fallout, and for those who don't know what happened, uh, you know, in Chicago, after the Indians beat the White Sox, Zach Plesac, one of their starting pitchers, a young guy, I think he's like 25, went out with his friends in Chicago. And upon that information, the Indians the next day 
said, okay, you can't be with us because of COVID. You know, we're supposed to be very careful, like, you know, not really in a bubble like the NBA is doing, but, uh, you know, it needed to be contained. And, and you, there are consequences for guys that break protocols of this. So they sent him down to their, like, minor league, uh, you know, workout. Or I really don't know what, what, like, the minors is this year, but we'll just call it sent down to the minors. And he had to rent a car, drive back to Cleveland himself, and stay there. And then Mike Clevenger, another starting pitcher on the Indians, didn't say anything at all, all day Sunday. After their game on Sunday, flew back with the team, only to tell the team after flying back that he had also gone out. So two Indians broke protocol. One of them, Clevenger, lied about it and let his friend take the fall, fully knowing, you know, what was at stake. And not to mention... You know, our manager, Tito Francona, has had many health problems in the past. Our starting pitcher, Carlos Carrasco, uh, was battling leukemia a year ago. You know, he, like, he had to come back from that. So to say, like, you know, oh, it's no big deal is not true, especially since some of these guys are fathers. They miss their families and, and they're being in harm's way. You know, I wouldn't have been surprised if Carrasco opted out, if Oliver Perez opted out. Oliver Perez eventually made a statement saying that, uh, you know, and this leaked out. It wasn't public knowledge, but he told the brass, if these guys don't get sent down to the minors, I am opting out of the season. So that's what the Indians ended up doing. They opted out two of their best players, or not opted out, sent them down, and now we're dealing with that fallout. And, you know, the guys tried to make an apology. They drove to the game one day in Cleveland made an apology to the team, and then there was a team meeting afterwards, and apparently everyone was really disappointed with them for, you know, the way they owned up to it. And Clevenger knew he made a mistake, but, you know, his mistake was bigger than Plesak's because he lied about it and let someone else take the fall. And then Plesak took out a thing on Instagram saying that, you know, it's too bad that the media has is portraying him like this. And it's like, it's just a bad look because it doesn't look like he's owning up to it. It looks like he's trying to find a way out. And just coupled with everything, it's like, oh boy, it's a shock that the Indians are as good as they are because A, they can't hit. They're one of the worst hitting teams in baseball, like just period, like last and everything. B, they're missing two-fifths of their stellar rotation now. But they've been managing. They've been finding ways to get by. They swept Detroit. They're going for a sweep of Pittsburgh tonight. And then they got Detroit again this weekend. So if there was ever a time to miss a couple pitchers, it's when you're facing, I guess, teams like the Tigers and Pirates. Uh, not to say they can't lose a couple games, though. You know, they're going to be, they're probably going to lose a couple of these games. And you're going to see exactly why it's so important for these guys to be there. But regardless, um, with the trade deadline coming up, it would make a lot of sense if Mike Clevenger is dealt. Uh, it would make less sense if Plesak is dealt. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you why. I know, you know, it, and this has nothing to do with what they did. I know one guy did something slightly different than the other. But Clevenger is closer to his free agency. Uh, you, um, Clevenger is another guy that I feel like he's injury prone. He's had a couple different injuries. But the way he throws and he, the fact that he's had a back injury before does scare me a little bit. He's close to free agency. He's got two years left of team control. If they keep him down for a an extended period of time, they may get another additional year. Now, if that happens, I feel like Clevenger will demand a trade. So we'll see what goes on with that. 
because you know he's not making a lot of money and he's got one chance to really cash in on an ace deal and if that's pushed off another year that's less money than he's going to make on that ace deal so uh and it, it was never going to be with cleveland they don't pay their stars especially ones that'll be in their 30s by the time that they get to that mark so uh, I don't expect Clevenger to sign long term. I wouldn't be surprised if they brought him back. But the way that like, you know, there is a lot of tension on this team now because they didn't like what Clevenger did. This isn't the first uh, Clevenger problem too because he allegedly last year. I don't know all the details of this, but what came out was he locked his wife out of the house and his wife had the kids. And I know I'm I'm sure a lot of it is he said she said, but you know where there's smoke there's fire. So this you know so with Clevenger he might just be an asshole. And if that's the case, you trade him. There are plenty of teams that could use an ace, a starting pitcher. And I don't want the Indians to just trade good pitchers just because you know of whatever. But it gets to a point where you know how much is too much and. We're going to eventually trade him anyway. This just expedites the process. That's the way I look at it. Is it was always he was always going to eventually get traded. We're probably just a year ahead of it right now. But there, he's got a lot of value. He's got ace stuff. You know, you're looking at a team like Atlanta that wants to you know get back to the World Series. They need another starting pitcher after a couple injuries. Clevenger fits there, and they've got a really good farm system. So I look at that as a really good match. But there are plenty of other teams too. Maybe Boston says, "Listen, you know, we have a lot of outfielders. What we don't have is any pitching. So maybe they make a move for it." Um, the Padres, the Dodgers—they've got some pretty good farm systems, and those are teams that also want to compete and could use a starting pitcher. Like even the Yankees, I think the Yankees would actually be a good match. I don't want to see, um, you know, the the Indians make a deal with the Yankees because I feel like you know if it doesn't go well, it's just like blown up in my face. 10 times worse because I, I live in Jersey and I know a lot of Yankee fans and I hate the Yankees. Uh, however, Clevenger does strike me as a guy that would come in with high hopes and kind of underwhelm at times. Plus, it would be great to see him have to cut his hair and shave his beard because, uh, you know, he's, he, you know, he's just a jerk. So uh, look out for Clevenger to get dealt. The reason I don't think Plesak will get dealt is because He's a controllable arm. They have him for three more years, and they'll have Cle- Ple- uh, Clevenger. And uh, we also haven't seen like Plesak tap into his potential. You know, he's he's had some really nice games. He's been one of the best Cleveland Indians this year. So if he is to get traded, I would expect an actually a bigger return than Clevenger, even though Clevenger is more established. It's just that Plesak the you know he's gonna be making very little money for the next five years so uh very very uh interested to see where that goes i would not be surprised to see both of them get traded and especially since the indians brought up tristan mckenzie today to start this weekend against detroit so they're moving along with different starting pitchers pluck goes in the rotation mckenzie's now making a start we'll see what goes on but uh watch out for the indians to make a big splash trade especially since they need they really need an outfielder that can hit. Uh, their outfield is is garbage, and they have had ten different starting combinations of outfielders, and none of them have really produced. So we'll see. Uh, but outside of the Indians, baseball has been a lot of fun. Uh, 
you know, there are a couple races in the AL right now that are pretty tight. The Rays just took over the AL East lead over the Yankees, who are, are really banged up right now. But the Rays seem to be a, a contending team. Out West, you got the Astros, who are finally getting hot, uh, that everyone hates. So it'll be interesting to see them against the Oakland Athletics because they uh, had a bit of a scrum, and the A's might be the best team in baseball right now. So, you know, that will be a nice little West rivalry. And then in the Central, Indians are just a half game behind the Twins, even though they lost three out of four to the Twins. So uh, they've got a series coming up with them next week. If they could turn that into a series win, we could have some, you know, we could have something fun going on. So uh, the AL will be a really fun race, especially with the trade deadline coming up. This is a real season. As much as uh, it doesn't feel like a real season, it's a real season. And the World Series is up for grabs. Eight teams in the AL get to make the playoffs. Eight teams in the NL make the playoffs. So uh, it is really up for grabs. You know, it's going to be weird at a trade deadline where you're only getting a guy for like basically the playoff run if it's a rental. But maybe... If the prices are lower, teams are making bigger investments in these guys because it's like, hey, we could steal a World Series this year. That's uh, that's how I think some teams are going to be looking at this. You know, you look at it's like, oh, you know, over a 162-game season, you really find out who is the best of the best. Over a 60-game season, or um, is it 80 games? Yeah, it's an 80-game se- No, it's a 60-game season. Over a 60-game season you're not going to find out who the best of the best is. It's going to come down to this round-robin 8-team, eight 16-team playoff. So very interesting to see who was going to make like a splash and say, let's let's go get it this year right now. It's a weird year. Let's do it. And I think the Indians are actually primed to do that because they've got good enough prospects. They just need a couple bats. And once it gets to the playoffs, your rotation gets smaller, uh, and that will be advantage Cleveland because they've got some really good starters there. So I wouldn't be surprised if they went out and got, you know, Mike Yastrzemski from like the Giants or they got Whit Merrifield from the Royals. Get both of them. I don't care. Like, I mean, you need multiple bats. So baseball will be interesting. But that's just the Indians. Outside of the Indians, there have been a lot of things to talk about. Number one is Fernando Tatis Jr. Earlier this week, Fernando Tatis Jr., shortstop of the Padres, one of the blossoming stars of and faces of baseball, uh, hit when his team was up 10-3 in the eighth inning. Uh, there was a 3-0 count, and the bases were loaded. And instead of taking a strike, he swung and hit a grand slam. Now, to me, there's nothing wrong with that. You're supposed to score runs to give yourself a chance to win the game. And that blew the doors open and gave their chance, their team a better chance to win. That's just fact. They were up seven. They're now up 11. The chance to win is greater. So uh, he did ignore his sign from his coach. He says he didn't see it. Don't know what's true. But he apologized to his coach for that. That's fine. If you're saying, listen, you know, I miss, I missed the sign. That's my bad. You can always apologize for that. I do not think he owes Texas an apology, and they and they asked for one. They said it was Bush League. They they complained, and a lot of the olds and the farts of the league complained too, coming after it about unwritten rules of baseball if you don't swing in that situation. But you know, to me, that's simply not true, and for a couple reasons. Number one, unwritten rules are kind of stupid. Like if they were rules, they'd be written down. Now, it's one thing to be like, 
it's an unwritten rule to not like show up the other team and like you know embarrass them and flip off fans like yeah like those are unwritten rules but they're not unwritten rules they're like it's just common decency and courtesy and sportsmanship so i'm all for sportsmanship and stuff but in terms of playing the game you play every moment of the game your hardest you know in football if you like lay off you're going to get hurt you know and that and that goes for basically any sport like you know and and rugby that was very apparent when i played rugby it was like there're no taking plays off there's no taking it easy because the other guys aren't taking it easy so if you take it easy you expose yourself to a possible injury and you know what else might happen so i don't like it for that account number 2 these guys have short careers and fernando tatis junior he's going to get paid one day but if that let's say he wasn't a guy that was going to get paid and he needs to capitalize on these opportunities he can't just be taking you know a strike and then grounding into a double play with the bases loaded when he has a chance to hit a grand slam like those things matter for when negotiations start for his next contract you know every little thing that he does is a is either a plus or a minus in your negotiation for a next contract these guys don't play professional sports long so they need to milk everything they got out of their lawyers and out of their agents to make sure they get paid. So I do not blame Fernando Tatis for taking advantage of the Rangers' shitty pitching. If you don't like Fernando Tatis Jr. hitting grand slams off, you don't load the bases. You know, Don't give him a 3-0 count. And then just assume, oh, well, since I had three bad pitches, I get a free one over the plate. That's not true. Like That's just that's not true. And people are now trying to compare it to kneeling, right? They're like, oh, you can't support kneeling in football but not support this. I'm like, that's also bullshit. You know why? Because kneeling is in baseball. It's when you don't have to bat in the bottom of the ninth. Let's say, you know, the Indians are playing the Pirates tonight. Let's say the you know Pirates are at home. Let's say the Pirates are leading 3-2 in the top of the ninth and the Indians get all three outs. Kneeling in football is basically them getting the baseball back and not taking their at-bats in the bottom of the ninth. They don't need it. They had already won the game, and they're just basically calling it a game. So I don't like that comparison to say, you know, oh, um, well, they shouldn't be trying their hardest because it's already a blowout. Well, what's a blowout? The Padres blew a seven-run lead last year. I saw the Indians score 10 runs in one inning this year, and I've seen bigger comebacks than that. Also, the Rangers once scored 30 runs against somebody. So the team that's crying about this scored 30 runs against the Orioles 13 years ago. They went to Baltimore. They scored 30 runs. They were up 16-3, to and then they scored 10 runs in the 8th and 6 runs, or they're up 14-3. to They scored 10 runs in the 8th and 6 runs in the ninth. None of that's necessary. They already had the game in the bag, but they were still swinging. And uh, I didn't see any apologies for that. That was now it was a different team. It was Ron Washington's Texas Rangers. They were a really good team, but it, the point remains that this was, you know, that this has happened before in bigger cases. The Rangers have zero room to complain, right? Like, like you don't get to score thirty runs on someone and ever, ever complain about running up the score. Like that's just, you know, or Bush League or, you know, unwritten rules. It's it's terrible. Like that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. 
So I'll refer to that every time the Rangers complain about Fernando Tatis running up the score or swinging at 3-0 pitches. Like, he could have ground that into a double play and did you a solid. You just don't like the result because it went over the fence. But you know what? It's not his fault that the Rangers aren't playing good. Also, and finally, if Fernando Tatis and the rest of the Padres are going to roll over that inning, are you saying that the Rangers aren't going to try in the next inning? Because that's what you're basically asking. You're saying, hey, don't run up the score anymore. So, okay, so since you guys have sucked all game, we have to stop trying, but you're going to try the next two innings, right? Like, that's 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 what I got from that, is that you're not going to try. Why not just call the game then? You know? If you're in that situation where you say, hey, uncle, mercy rule, then call the game. Say the game is over. The Rangers don't want the Padres to score anymore, so they accept the loss. And this is it. That way we can, A, shorten games, B, avoid injuries, and C, hey, you know what? No one gets embarrassed now because you got to end the game early. Like, there are so many reasons why Texas is wrong here. And look, uh, like, I get you don't want to get embarrassed. I have rooted my entire life for Cleveland sports. I have rooted for so many bad teams. The Browns have been bad so so much. Like, every year they're bad. Sometimes the worst team in the league. Sometimes they go winless. Like, I've seen bad shit from the Browns. I've seen bad Indians teams. They're usually pretty good. The Indians are, have definitely been like, the best of the Cleveland teams. Um, but they've had some bad years, too. And I've seen them get embarrassed, too. And then the Cavaliers. Outside of the LeBron years, they've been a laughing stock every season. They've I've seen them lose by 40 sometimes. So, I know losing, and I've seen plenty of losing teams. Now, as an experienced loser in this realm, I gotta say, it's not their, like, it's not Ed Reed's fault that the Browns sucked. Ed Reed wanted to build a Hall of Fame career. He wanted to be the best of the best. So, he's not gonna take it light on the Browns. You know, if you want to take it light on the Browns, that's fine. That's cool. But, like... You know, I didn't hate him because he kicked our ass. I mean, yeah, I did hate him, but I hated him more for any time like somebody would celebrate. That's why I hate like Antonio Brown celebrating on the Browns. Like that's showing up us. That's embarrassing us. If you were just to score and and you know and that was that and just run up the score on us, I'd I'd be pissed at the Browns, not the Steelers. You know, I'm pissed at like the Browns for sucking. Because it's not Ed Reed's fault or the Steelers' fault or whoever's blowing us out this week. It's not their fault that we suck. It's the Browns' fault that we suck. So that's when I learned from all of this is that it's like, you know what? As an experienced loser myself, don't get don't get mad at the team winning. As long as they're doing it right. And that's and and you know, that's just my stance. As long as they're doing it right. You know, Tim Anderson, he likes to pimp out his home runs and stuff. Well, you're probably going to get a ball in the butt or the back next time. So, like, and that's, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with, look, you want to show us up, we're going to peg you. But if you're just going to play hard and win, there's nothing wrong with that. And that's what Fernando Tatis Jr. did. He didn't, like, pimp it out. He ran around the bases. He went back to the dugout. He high-fived his teammates. And instead, everyone's, like, giving him this, like, side eye, you know, that, like, he broke these unwritten rules. Unwritten rules, if they were rules, they'd be written down. So... It's just stupid. I mean, like, 
I can't believe this got that much talk this week. And then people also had the audacity to say it's you can't be okay with kneeling. Kneeling, injuries happen so often in football. You want to kneel it out because you don't want to get your like running back injured anymore. It's, I mean, oh, God, whatever. But I'm interested to see your takes. If you disagree with me, please, I, I'd love to talk about it. So comment on this stream wherever you're listening from SoundCloud, Apple. If you you know if you're on Facebook and listening, you know comment below and let me know what you think of this. But uh, outside of I mean outside of that, they're really you know that was the talk of baseball all week, and a, and a lot of people love Fernando Tatis Jr. for what he did. I did, and then the next day he stole third base, which was awesome because you know that's a slap in the face uh but i love it because it's like you know what you shouldn't have like provoked him and then by the way the padres hit a grand slam in all three games of the series so like they really shut him up and then he (laughs) fernando tatis jr comes out to cry me a river for his first at bat uh against the rangers and i thought that was awesome i thought that was the funniest thing so it was perfect Regardless, um, that's what's going on with baseball. There's not much else to be said right now. Next time I'll do a pod, they'll probably be passed with the trade deadline. Maybe there'll be some big injuries. Maybe we'll be close to the playoffs. Um, But that's that. Uh, In the NFL, we are in training camp. Um, It is good to be in training camp. You know, right now, college football seems like it's hanging on by a thread. The Big Ten says they're not playing, even though there's a, a guy on Twitter that says they're, they are they are going to play. He's really double, tripled, and quadrupled down on that, even though the Big Ten has come out and said, no, we are not reconsidering it at the time. But the Big Ten commissioner, Kevin Warren, apparently doesn't have any fans anywhere. So we will see. It, it seems like there's still something going on there, even though all signs point to no Big Ten football, even though Browns will be playing football, Bengals will be playing football. High schools all across Ohio will be playing football, but Ohio State won't be playing football. So it seems like Ohio State's probably the only team in Ohio that won't be playing, and which sucks for them because they really do have one of the best teams in the country. So if they're going to be sitting at home watching while the SEC plays football, while the Big 12 plays football, uh, and the ACC plays football, that's really going to hurt uh, to, for them to see that. But who knows? Who knows what will happen? I mean, it's it's still a developing situation. We should be a couple weeks away from college football. So if something is going to happen, it's going to have to happen soon. Now with the NFL, you know, we're in training camp. There haven't been a lot of COVID cases. They seem to be on top of this, but it's early. And the problem is each team has huge rosters. You know, think about all the problems that have happened with baseball, right? You know, the Cardinals have only played like 10 games, whereas most teams have played like 26, 27 games. The Mets just got a a game postponed because uh, someone on their team has COVID. So they're going to be sat down for like a week. The teams that play the Mets aren't going to be playing them. So there have been a lot of issues with this that started with the Marlins. And really, though, half the league has missed a game or two because of COVID. Um. Those rosters are 25 to 30 guys and a couple coaches. NFL is 80 guys right now. And position coaches heavily outweigh what they are in baseball. So I'm worried. And it's a contact sport. So I'm worried about football. But there haven't been a lot of things. It seems like the the 
teams have been much stricter and they've been on top of it. There was a guy in the Seahawks who got straight up cut because he brought a girl into his room. Okay. And that's the part that worries me. Now, I like hearing that the fact that they acted so swiftly because hopefully that sends a message to these guys that are on bubble of, of teams. So it's like, hey, listen, if you get caught, they're basically going to cut you because they have no time for this. You know, it, the NFL season is very fragile right now. So uh, I, I, I'm I, just, you know, fingers crossed that everything's going well. Now, of course, beyond COVID, you know, we're a couple days into Brown's camp. And what happens? Well, Mac Wilson hits Nick Chubb super hard and Chubb's in the concussion protocol. Then next day, Mac Wilson hurts his knee. Huge hyperextension. Don't know if it needs surgery or not, but he's going to be down for four to six to eight weeks. And then today, Kevin Johnson, Nickelback, has to go to the hospital because of a lacerated uh, liver, I think, because someone fell on him yesterday. So I really need the Browns to just stop. Like, like get in the weight room, get in the trainer's room, do all, take care of your bodies, lessen up and watch like the, you know, watch tape, but like stop hurting each other. I can't take it. Like the Browns, I really want to be good this year. And I'm I'm worried that they're gonna have like a couple more injuries because the Browns aren't a very deep team. They like that's that's the thing. They're doing a really good job of fixing positions, but they aren't deep like anywhere. You know, if you look at all twenty two starters of the Browns, you like the team, but they do not have good depth. And uh so I'm just hoping that they uh, you know, take care of that because I'd really like a, a good season from the Cleveland Browns. Uh, we got fantasy football's coming up too. Uh, not even going to talk about fantasy football yet. I can talk about that in the next episode. We'll get to that. But I uh, did do an extra league this year with a bunch of Browns fans, uh, all Twitter people. So pretty excited about that. The Browns tw- Twitter fantasy football league will be cool. And, uh, and yeah, it's, it's, it should be an exciting year. I look at the Browns last year, right, and they were a mess, and they still finished, what six and ten? That was their record. Um, they finished six and ten, and and they've seemingly taken care of their biggest needs. Number one, they signed Miles Garrett to a contract extension. Uh, number two, Freddie Kitchens is gone, and they got one of the better play callers, Kevin Stefanski, and it seems like the regime is a lot more rock solid. It's based on production rather than talk. Rather than football, you know, quotes. Baker was bad last year, but we improved his protection at both tackles. We made gave him a simpler game plan where it's like, listen, there's going to be a lot more play action, which you're good at. There's going to be a lot of handing off, which you're good at, and we're going to give Chubb and Hunt the ball, and uh, and we're going to make things easier on Baker Mayfield. So I really like what they're doing. Defense, we shall see. I really don't know what to get because. Now that Mac Wilson's down, now that uh, we still have like a battle at safety, I have no idea who the two starting safeties are going to be. Um, it, there are a lot of questions all over the defense. However, I am like slightly optimistic that they're going to surprise. I think they're going to play a, uh, more DBs, and you're going to see like three safeties on the field more, especially against teams like Baltimore, where that will help. Uh, you know. We don't need big thumping linebackers. We need safeties that are going to make tackles. Hopefully Carl Joseph can stay healthy because I really like him as a player. I think he's got a lot of upside. Uh, and Grant Delpit, I think uh, of the world of him, second rounder out of LSU. 
he could be he could be a stud safety for the Browns for a while. So, uh, you know, let's hope let's hope just stay healthy and 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 try to get through training camp. There's no preseason games, so we really shouldn't have any injuries, especially from like the contact side. So, we'll see. Uh, other news, NHL. Yeah, no no news there. I haven't I like I haven't been able to figure out how to watch these games, even though the playoff games have been on during the day. Um, my NBC Sports app hasn't been working, and I think that's the only way I can watch them. Uh, interesting thought, though. Are they going to be kissing the Stanley Cup trophy at the end? Because that's the the move. You always you grab a Stanley Cup trophy, you, you kiss it, and you pass it on to the next person. I doubt they're going to allow that in a COVID world. So that'll be interesting. Uh, moving along, though, to the NBA. Uh the NBA bubble seemed to have been a huge success. I didn't think it was going to work out, and I got called out for it too because I was like, it, "All it's going to take is like it's going to be a domino effect." And a couple people left. Lou Williams left the bubble. Someone else left the bubble. There was a, a, a Kings player who had like chicken delivered into the bubble, and it was like, it, it, I was just there's too many instances where I was like, "This isn't going to work" because there are too many people in there that just don't care. Unless you have 100% of the people working together and believing in it, the, the system won't work because all that takes is one person to go out and then all of a sudden the team isn't playing anymore. However, they seem to have ironed out the problems uh, and there's no issue anymore because we're into the playoffs. We're a couple games in. It's like, you know, game twos are tonight and, and game threes are like this weekend. Uh, I do think... I'm pulling for LeBron, if, if I'm being honest. I'm pulling for LeBron because uh, I want to see him win one with the Lakers and prove a lot of the you know LeBron haters wrong. And I want him to at least say that he left Cleveland and at least won something when he left and not like leave and then be like, oh, I could have stayed there and done the same thing. And who knows, maybe if he wins with the Lakers, uh, all he needs is that one, and then he'll eventually come back and retire with Cleveland. I still think that's on the table. In other news, though, for the Cavs, Tonight is the NBA lottery. In about an hour and a half, we'll find out who's selecting number one, which will be really interesting because this is another year, unfortunately reminds me a lot of 2013 with Anthony Bennett, where who knows who's going to be the first overall pick. There were good players. There were guys like Otto Porter and CJ McCollum and uh, Victor Oladipo where you're like, you know, I think I know what he is, but is he going to be a superstar? No. Surprisingly, you know, McCollum would have been one of the best picks in that draft. I think Giannis was in that draft, but again, nobody knew and what Giannis would become. I mean, he had to severely outgrow expectations. Uh, but tonight is the lottery. The Cavs have, you know, history with doing well in the lottery. Worst they could finish with sixth. Uh, I think they finish with the fourth pick. And uh, I think the Warriors will end up winning the lottery. They have the same odds as the Cavs to win it. Uh, it just seems like that's obviously going to happen because, you know, the Warriors go to five straight Western, you know, conference champs to winning the lottery and retooling with, you know, a guy like James Wiseman who's going to change their team. So I would like I would like Wiseman on the Cavs. I think, uh, you know, I don't know much about these pro NBA prospects. I just go off of what I saw when I watched their clips on YouTube and stuff. But... What I saw from Wiseman and the fact that he was the number one overall player in high school last year, yeah, I, I mean, I like that. I like the odds. Seven-footer, that's getting compared to a little bit of Chris Bosh 
and Kevin Garnett. Like, yeah, that's that's pretty dope. So uh, we'll see what goes on with the lottery. Maybe I'll check back in later and give a lotto update. That maybe I'm nice like that. Maybe I'll do that and include it in, in, into like a last second segment. Who knows? All right, we're gonna jump off news. Uh, gonna do a little top ten list. Uh, had a couple different top fives I could do. Uh, gonna expand this one to ten because there's a lot of. Uh, I, I like the idea of ranking these. I think this could be a lot of fun. Now, uh, not an original idea. Got this from my guys at Lights Camera Barstool. Recently, they debated the best baseball movies, and uh, I I just wanted to weigh in on that myself too because I was like, you know what? It's summer. Summer is baseball. Baseball is back. It's cool to be watching it. And recently, just watched a couple baseball movies. It was the first time I ever saw League of Their Own. Well, not first time, but first time since I was like a child. So I got a better like chance to like kind of understand it. Um, and watched Major League with Sam like a week or two ago, uh, just on a regular like you know Thursday night. Thought it was nice to be putting on a baseball movie. So I was like, man, you know there are a lot of baseball movies, and I didn't think enough of them got enough shout outs during lights camera so uh here it goes here's my top 10 baseball movies now i disqualified a couple uh i disqualified eight men out everybody wants some and 42 because i've never seen any of those movies um so those three un un ineligible for my list uh and i know i should i should see 42 if that's streaming somewhere i'd like to check it out um, and everybody wants some. Not a movie a lot of people have heard of. I don't even know if it qualifies for baseball movie, but it's about college baseball players and like their life in the, I think like seventies, eighties, like entering the eighties. So uh, I heard it's a really funny movie. I heard it's worth checking out. Uh, kind of like a follow up to Dazed and Confused type of movie, uh, if that if that like kind of makes any sense. But do want to check that out. I think it's a. Uh, only available to rent right now on Prime. Uh, regardless, though, a lot of baseball movies out there. It's the one, it's probably, of all the sports, it's probably got the most movies. You know, I know football, there are a lot of football movies out there, but uh, I think there's a lot of baseball movies. And going by this list, there is. So, okay. Um, honorable mention. Well, this is almost like dishonorable mention because they're mostly bad movies. Rookie of the Year, Little Big League. Not a fan of these movies. Um, I'm not typically a fan of movies where, like, you know, the kids are, like, the main. Uh, which is also brings me to Angels in the Outfield. Uh, uh, sorry, young J.G. Levitt. But, like, you know, it's the kids are usually whiny. They're annoying. It's usually, like, a little shit like Henry Rowan Gardner uh, or whatever his name is. And uh, it's kind of like slapstick funny. And to me, that's not great. Um, so typically, there will be an exception, but typically that's the case. Uh, I wasn't a fan of Bad News Bears or the remake. Obviously, Major two and Major League 2 and 3, not that great. Um, so the kind of like the honorable mention are really just the bad ones. Uh, and then I also threw in uh the rookie mr 3000 and a league of their own i a league of their own did not crack my top 10 uh it's close it's close it's number 11 uh because it was just short because uh number 10 we'll jump right into it number 10 fever pitch 
Uh, again, this, this isn't really a great movie. League of Their Moon, a League of Their Own is probably a better movie, but and it's definitely a better baseball like story. But this is a unique one. It's a little different, and it's you know one of the few movies of Jimmy Fallon's that I enjoy. Um, you know, you get real players in it. There, it's a cool story because they eventually like you know the Red Sox won the World Series there. So I do think uh, Fever Pitch cracks the top 10, just beating out League of Their Own. Uh, I understand if you have a problem with that because it's kind of a bad take. But I'm willing to own that take. There's something about baseball movies where I like a little bit of campiness and a little bit of cheesiness. And I'll get to that in a little bit. Um, Number 9, The Natural. Classic baseball movie. Obviously the score is a huge part of it. You know, Robert Redford, great actor. The whole Roy Hobbs like storyline is awesome, and it really should be higher. Uh, but again, these are my rankings. These are my baseball movies, and sometimes I like the campiness. Campiness that you'll find in number eight, Summer Catch. Bad movie. Not great, but I, I love this movie, and I, and I know it well. I grew up on this movie. I, have, I, I can quote probably half of it uh, between me and my sister. We could probably quote the whole movie. R.I.P. Brittany Murphy. Uh, gotta love young Freddie Prinz. And I actually do think the story is cool because it's about, you know, college pitchers, minor leaguers, guys that, like, haven't made it yet, but they're trying to make it big. And this is the hometown kid that, you know, has basically given a chance and pitches great and pitches himself onto basically the Philadelphia Phillies. Spoiler alert. So really cool, uh, you know, story. The acting is is pretty crappy. The lines are hilarious, but it's definitely on here. The fact that it's above the natural is straight up because of its its campiness and cheesiness. Okay, uh, number seven. This this one's this is where it gets a little tough because I and now I I'm going with the for love of the game, Kevin Costner. Uh, Kevin Costner obviously he has the trilogy of the baseball movies. Uh, we'll get you know to that in a little bit, but. This is a good story, you know, again, very much like Freddie Prince's uh, uh, in Summer Catch, you know, it's about that one last game, one last chance, and I do like, I think the casting is perfect with J.K. Simmons to play, like, the Tigers manager. Like, I think when growing up, I actually thought that was the real Tigers manager, not J.K. Simmons. Uh, and then, obviously, uh, John, John C. Riley. uh as the catcher, I was like, "Oh man, he's the perfect catcher!" Like that, like th- both of those were great castings. Kevin Costner, like they, they, he is a good baseball player. You don't have to sell me on Kevin Costner being able to play. So I like this movie. Uh, I it could have made my top five. It was it was really close, but for me, it comes in at um at number what ten nine eight seven yeah seven love the game. Number six is Hardball. Straight up just because of Keanu Reeves. Um, I could do without the Cucumbus. I know it's kind of a sad story, you know, with G-Baby and everything like that. Um, it's just Keanu Reeves is so over the top in this movie. And it's it's hilarious watching him just, like, spaz out. I'm like, what was he on doing this movie? Because it's hilarious. Uh, just misses my top five, but Hardball comes in number six. Number five, a lot of people's number one. Uh, I don't love it as much as a lot of people do. But it's the Sandlot. Uh, I think it's a good baseball movie. I think it's just a good movie in general. It's a lot about friendship. Uh, I think the you know the way they like narrate it and stuff. It it it's 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 done well, and you know it's it's fun. Like everybody likes the Sandlot. I think it's super overrated because some people 
claim it's like one of the best you know sports movies and I'm like hold on it's it's okay and you know it's it's fine it's a good baseball movie and I'm just gonna leave it at that I'm not gonna shit on the Sandlot because I, I don't have anything really bad to say about it I just don't think it's as good as people hype it up to be okay number four going with Bull Durham uh, Bull Durham's a great one again another another like unique baseball story that's what I love about baseball movies is like all the stories are different. None of them are like the same thing. A lot of times it's about an underdog because underdogs are more interesting. Uh, but, you know, this one is about a minor league baseball uh, catcher who really has just isn't going to get to the big leagues. But his job is to mentor a kid who is going to get to the big leagues. So, like, it's it's a different take on a story. And I think the baseball played in that movie is good. I think the whole, like... Nuke Lelouch characters, hilarious, uh, you know, Tim Robbins. Uh, but I think Crash is a, is a better character as that, like, you know, minor leaguer who can never break through. He got to the bigs one time, but, you know, it it just didn't work out for him. And, and I think that's a cool story because it's very realistic. A lot of these guys just end up being career minor leaguers and never make it to the bigs. So I do like the fact that, like, there's a movie about those guys. Okay. Uh, top three. Number three, this one has not aged too well, Field of Dreams. Um, I loved it growing up. I thought it was like this incredible movie. I thought, wow, what what a story. Another another unique story. It's about a, basically a guy wanting to play baseball with his dad when it all comes down to it. Uh, and I, it's, it's sad at times, but it's also like an uplifting movie. It is kind of boring. I will say this. There's very little baseball in it. It is kind of boring, um, but the speeches in it are great. The acting is great. James Earl Jones is awesome. Kevin Costner is great. Like, there's a lot to love about it, and I loved it as a kid. It's a big nostalgia factory for me. It's just huge on the nostalgia, so it's hard for me to hate on it too much. It comes in at number three for me. All right, top two. This is this should be everybody's top two, and it should just be in in whatever order you you go with. Um, my number two is Moneyball. Now, it's funny because I, I can say a lot about Moneyball. I read the book in high school. I loved it. I th- I was like, I read it again in college. That's how much I liked it. Um, and I, the one thing I wanted in the movie was more Billy Bean, the baseball player, because that was a good portion of the book was his time with the Mets and how it didn't work out. And instead they kind of just made it a montage in the movie. Which is fine because the bigger story was obviously the A's, but I just, uh, you know, maybe that would have been better for the Billy Bean character had they included uh, his, you know, more of his playing days and how it didn't work out for him. That being said, Moneyball is done really well. Uh, the music and the score of the movie is is obviously, like, really great. I think the acting's done well. I don't think it's... I mean, I don't think it's crazy good like the Academy and Noms that it got, but I thought the acting was good. I I like the fact that it's very true to the story. Uh, Obviously, the big complaints are that they make the A's seem like a super underdog when in reality they were a 100-win team. They lost a couple good, good players, yes, but they were so stacked that that wasn't a big problem. Never mentioned Mark Mulder. Uh... Uh, Tim Hudson or Barry Zito, right? They had three aces on that staff. 
never mentioned once. They mentioned Miguel Tejada like one time, but it's when he wants to be stealing bases. And that's it. Like they make Miguel Tejada look like this, like, you know, kind of like utility player when he was the AL MVP. So, like, they don't really mention him. They have an all-star third baseman in Eric Chavez. Yet all we're talking about are, like, the rotational guys at left field and first base. So it's kind of funny when you, like, think about it. But uh, I don't know. I just, uh, they try to make it look like an underdog. Now, the good thing, though, is they don't claim to have been, like, a bad team that nobody gave a chance to. They say it throughout the movie that, like, look, we, we're trying to compete with the Yankees' payroll. Um, and they say it at the end of the movie, too, when he's meeting with the Red Sox, that they're like, look, you had a 100-win team, you lost three guys, and, and you still won. So I do like that they don't, like, lie to you. They don't make it seem like they were a shitty team. Uh, they do own up and say that they were a good team and that they lost Giambi, Damon, and uh, Ingring Housing. Uh, and it's also just, it's a, it's a good tale. I could do, you know, without this stuff with the daughter, but whatever, like, you know, I, I know you want to try and make it relatable and, you know, make Billy Bean not look like a complete asshole. So this humanizes him a bit. Uh, and then number one, obviously it's, it's major league. Major league is one of my favorite movies of all time. I think it's an awesome baseball story. Uh, it just so happens to be about the Cleveland Indians, which is my team, but even if it wasn't about the Indians, and I'll, you know, I do this a lot, you know, make it about the Milwaukee Brewers, and everything about it is Milwaukee, and it's the Brewers. I'd still really like that movie. Is it my favorite over Moneyball? Hmm. That's that's an interesting debate. Uh, it's probably close because I really like just the fact that they make so many characters in this movie. Uh, you know, they have like Serrano, who's the Cuban defector, uh, who can't hit a curveball. They have Willie Mays Hayes, who is the uninvited, uh, spring training guy who basically runs his way onto the team. You have Charlie Sheen, who's pitching out of prison. You have Tom Berenger, who is, you know, Jake Taylor, who's the catcher that's trying to just have one more good season. Um, and then you have Corbin Burnson, who's like the overpaid player that nobody believes in anymore because he sold out. You know, that's a lot of different characters, and they build up the stories of all of them. It's not like they just gave names and put them on the back of the players and said, like, okay, there's two players, and that's the storyline. It's like, no, that's five major players that they kind of gave stories to. Not to mention Eddie Harris, the, uh, you know, the Crisco god. And Lou Brown, the, the manager. So, so th- I think they do a really good job of just, like, painting a picture of the whole team. Because it would have been easy to just make it all about Rick Vaughn and Jake Taylor and, and, and just move on from there. But instead, no, they have three other characters in the movie, three other players that they, you know, build it around. So I really like it. I think... Uh, you know, burn on Big River. You got you know Randy Newman singing the intro song. That needs to be said, and it's just it's it's my favorite. It it gives me the feels every time I watch the uh the the last game against the Yankees. It's also great because I fucking hate the Yankees. So they get to beat the Yankees in it to make the playoffs, which is awesome. Um, and of course, the funniest part of the movie not you know not that the movie's not funny because the movie is very funny. It has a lot of great quotes in it. Um. You know, just a bit outside, and and the too high, and 
uh, a bunch of shit. But the funniest part about it is the fact that like the big win is just to make the playoffs. It's not even making the World Series because in Major League Two, you find out they got crushed in the playoffs, and then they you know Major League Two ends with them making the World Series. It's like they can't even win the World Series in a fake in a movie. The Indians can't even so. But it's you know to me that's just funny and I th- I think it's you know I'm a good sport for for liking it but uh, yeah that's my top ten top ten baseball movies uh, Major League number one Moneyball number two and then it's kind of a drop uh, but a lot of good baseball movies uh, what are your favorite baseball movies give me your like top three are they different than mine did I you know was I too hard on a league of their own you know some people have it as like a top five one am I too hard on the natural or am I giving the campy ones way too much credit because, you know, I do like the campy baseball movies. Uh, yeah. Okay, to round out the episode, going to do a couple movie reviews and uh, and call it a night. Uh, you know, it's, I was actually going to do movie reviews for A League of Their Own, Major League, and Moneyball, three baseball movies I've seen recently, but I feel like I just gave baseball plenty of talk, and uh, there's really not much more to talk about on those fronts. Uh, so I'm gonna, gonna gonna go back to the well. Got a pl- got a ton of movies I've been watching, so I have, I have no shortage of movies I could talk about right now. Gonna do a one minute movie review, and I'm also gonna do uh, an entrance into the 100 Club. All right, so I know you guys are excited. I've been, you know, watching this uh, movie list with Sam. We have a hundred movies to watch. They're supposed to be, I think, called uniquely crafted movies. And I'm like, all right, so it's not like the 100 best movies ever. It's not like my 100 favorite movies like I did in the last episode. Um, this is just kind of like a 100 uniquely crafted films. Sometimes they're really good. Most of them have been, and some of them I I didn't care for all that much. Uh, with that being said, I want to do a couple different reviews here. Um, my first one, I want to do uh, a OMMR for, this is a streaming movie. It's been out a couple months now. It's called The King of Staten Island, starring Pete Davidson. It's a Judd Apatow film. Uh, really good movie. Th- this, I didn't know was going to be as good as it was. It tackles like mental health really well it tackles the fact that like you know this guy who you know living in staten island it was you know pete davidson had a a very similar childhood to this his dad died in 9-11 they didn't make the movie about 9-11 though about his dad dying there because you know then it kind of just gets brushed under all of the 9-11 deaths instead they wanted to make it kind of a unique story to show more about like his character which i really liked um, I thought Marissa Tomei and Bill Burr were really good in this, and it was, you know, kind of like a heartfelt comedy at times. Even though, you know, most of the movie you're just feeling for these this character, these these characters, because, you know, it's it's a sad story that he lives in. But I did like uh, King of Staten Island. I gave it an eighty-eight. I thought it was really good, and I thought I think you should check it out. Um, you know, if you have a chance, rent it on on. Uh, I think it's on Amazon. Yeah, it's Amazon Prime. So uh, rent it. Check it out. It's it's pretty good. All right. So one OMMR down. All right. Next up, a favorite of mine. Oof, you know what? Actually, I have a couple 100 club entrances. So I'm just going to do one this week, but I'll have another one for next week. All right. Going to run through these now. Um, another OMMR. 
Midsommar horror film, also available streaming. This was an A24 film. Um, tell you what, if you want to get like really into it and, and kind of have a movie fuck with your brain, this is the one. Um, I thought Florence Pugh was like really sold the scary for me. And the fact that they're able to make a scary movie that happens like 100% in daylight, that's, you know, that's impressive. And the you know synopsis of this movie is that these uh, college you know roommates and buddies are going on uh, to this like you know festival in I think you know, I forget the town in Sweden but way in the middle of fucking nowhere uh, because their you know friend that they go to college with does this every so many years or whatever and one guy brings his girlfriend he was gonna break up with her but uh, you know her her family basically died in a tragedy to start the movie which was really fucked up. Um, so she's there, she's like all out of it, and uh, um, you know, they get there, and nothing is like it seems. There are like suicides, there are like sacrifices, there are drugs that like numb people. It, it really fucks with your brain, and uh, it was like it was one of those movies where like I'm like staring at the film, like the screen, trying to look away, but I can't look away, and uh. It's it's a scary movie. It has surpassed, I think, Blair Witch Project for the scariest movie I've ever seen. Um, you know, Blair Witch Project I, I thought was like real when when I saw it. I was like 10, 11, 12 years old. I thought it was real. This this messed with me, and I thought they nailed it. I thought they made it, it was a really good horror film. Uh, I think we watched the director's cut, which made a couple of the scenes way too long. I was like, that was my one complaint was that this uh. These movies, or this uh, this movie could have been a lot shorter. Like, they made, like, a sex scene way too long, and they made, like, a kind of like a death scene way too long. Outside of that, though, it was a really great film. Um, I gave it a 92. I thought, in terms of scary movies, this is, like, the poster child of scary movies. Um, or or the, the blueprint, I should say. So, blueprint. All right. Uh, that's enough OMMRs. Gonna do a from the vault now. Uh, I I want to uh, you know, kind of change up the the way OMMRs are. I'm gonna do one minute movie reviews are gonna be for newer movies only. Uh, maybe whether they're streaming or whatever. And then my from the vault review is gonna be a movie that we all know from a long time ago. Um, this week's from the vault is Armageddon. Uh. <laughs> Mainly because I had it down for a while. We watched it, and I gotta say, it is not as good as I remember it being. Um, it, it it seems like it's all the parts that like you want in Deep Impact to make Deep Impact a little more like fun, uh, but it really is just not that great. And Michael Bay is just like, oh, he must fucking love this. But you watch like the explosions and shit, and you're like, okay, why is like their paths? Why are there like roads on this like on this asteroid and stuff? They make it so perfectly easy to just drive around on it like it's a parking lot. Um, but the acting is so over the top, and the cast, I do love the cast, uh, and the cast is great. The acting's over the top. The, it's it's. It is the Michael Bay like blueprint because every movie he did after this, it was just like, okay, Armageddon, but more. I'm doing more of it. Uh, I would have loved to see a movie of Deep Impact and Armageddon combined together. You know, like you have everything that goes on in Deep Impact, but then you have the people on the asteroid led by Fish, you know, Spurgeon Tanner, 
and this is his crew and that's like also led by Bruce Willis or whatever. I think that would be a really fun like spin on Deep Impact is because you could have like the people that saved him up there and you can also have Deep Impact. A lot of it's about life on Earth while this asteroid's coming to kill them. So uh, I think where those two movies like they're like the yin and yang of natural disaster asteroid movies. Regardless, Armageddon, I give it like a 49. Uh, this is not all that great. Uh, you know, the only things I can say about it are it's just fun. <laughs> you know, that's 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 about it, though. But it's not it's not a very good movie. It's it's not even a good movie. Uh, I do love a lot of the quotes in it. I think the overacting is a lot of fun. Okay, now I'm going to have two movies that I'm doing for the 100 Club because I've had a couple movies go into the 100 Club club recently because of this list that sam and i had um first one is jaws this is no surprise to anyone uh that likes you know that that listens to my podcast you know jaws is one of my favorite movies of all time uh basically you know it was a horror film during the day following a shark and and steven spielberg was able to make that happen uh a lot of innovation in this movie in terms of the filming. They were able to have the like in and out of underwater shot, which was brand new. The zoom up fade out on Brody when there was the second attack at the beach and he's just like watching it happen uh, is a very cool film technique that I saw in high school where they bring the camera closer or uh, farther away from you but zooms in on you as it's going away so like the background looks smaller and you look bigger even though you're it's like just staying in the same spot it's a really cool film technique and i think they nailed that and that was the first time it was ever done it's also got the best trio i can think of in any movie between you know brody quint and you know like like the three of them though so you got chief brody who is playing like this um uh like cop that's just trying to do the right thing but he doesn't really know what he's doing the whole time then you got uh you know um hooper who hooper buys the drives the (laughs) hooper drives the boat chief hooper and you got quint who is the captain of the boat it's a really good like give and take from the three of them i think uh, Robert Shaw's character of of Quint is just like is one of my favorites in any movie. He plays this. It seems like he had spent like three years living on a boat in a dock, like preparing for this role because it came so naturally to him, and he just sees like this this old like you know fisherman type that just like you know everything that comes out of his mouth in that movie is pure gold. And I love it. I love the ending. I love the music. I love everything about that movie. It's a perfect 100 for me. Next in the 100 club, it truly was a Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, Shawshank Redemption, another obvious 100. It is one of the best storytellings I've ever seen in a movie. It's got the best narration I've ever seen in a movie. It is such a good like I don't know if it was the adapted screenplay or whatever, like Stephen King's short story that turned into just a, a beautiful screenplay for a movie because it, it uh, and when I was talking to Sam about it, she said she read the book in high school and how 
it was really interesting that the book and the movie were so in lockstep together, which I really appreciate. But it's got one of the best scenes ever when, you know, they, they finally find out that Andy dug the hole. It's got it, it it's like three little movies in one. You know, you have like the Brooks movie of it, you've got like the uh Tommy, the like the hotshot young kid part of the movie, and you really aren't cheated at this ending, right? You know, you earn the ending because it just shows just how long and just how miserable Andy was in prison and how everything he had to deal with. And, you know, Red kept on going to the parole hearings. Like, they earned that ending. And I really do appreciate that. I think it might be the best movie I've ever seen. I don't I don't have a lot of hesitation saying that. You know, I, I obviously want to think about things when I say it's the best movie I've ever seen. But, you know, the way I think about it, I'm like, this is just the perfect movie. It's so hard to beat it. And I haven't met someone that doesn't like Shawshank Redemption. And of course, the you know, the Will Forte, you know, last man on it truly was a Shawshank Redemption. You know, and anyone that doesn't know the show in The Last Man on Earth, Will Forte tries to convince all of his friends that he's seen Shawshank when every time they talk about it, they're like, oh, yeah, uh, you know, Phil hasn't seen it. And he's like, oh, I've, I've seen the movie. I love the movie. And, he, and that's like the one thing he always lies on the show, but like he eventually gets caught. It's the one lie he never admits to. So it's really funny. And anytime they're talking about the movie and they're doing quotes and they're talking about Zay Wataneo, he he just waits for it to get quiet. And then he's just like, it truly was. Shawshank Redemption, and they always and he always says that, and always everyone is always just like that's that's not in the movie. They don't say that, and he's like, yeah, they do. They they say it. so. I love that, but anyway, that is it. Just over an hour, good timing for a podcast. Did five movie reviews, did a top ten baseball movie, gave you some sports updates. It's good to be back. It's good to be the Jake. Thank you all for listening, and uh, stay safe out there with coronavirus. Just you know, hang in there. This will all come to a close one day, but it can't happen if we are just ignoring everything. So uh, be well, everybody, and uh, enjoy your weekend.